welcome back to the All of Us podcast. This is Hero, and it's a new week, and I have recorded and re-recorded this intro now five times, which kind of reflects how I'm feeling in general, and also why this podcast is coming out a day late, or this episode at least. I am joined this week by my dear friend Romy Reiner, and we cover everything we go over a lot of body dysmorphia stuff a lot of anxiety and depression um, basically every single mental health obstacle or just little thing that either of us have faced in the last years we talk about in this very conversational um, just chat I think a lot of these episodes feel like you're just kind of sitting in on an intimate conversation between friends. And this one, I think, takes the cake for being the most like that. It's a longer one. um, And we really just talk about everything. Um, And that being said, I would like to point out that there is talk around suicidal ideations and, yeah, just a um, a lot of stress and anxiety and depression and body dysmorphia and topics that could be very triggering, especially because they're talked about in a way that's very candid in this episode. So if that's something that's going to be triggering for any of you listening, um, definitely take care and feel free to maybe make the decision to stop listening or maybe even not listen if you're not feeling like you're in the space to hear about all of that. That being said, um, it's done so in a way that is Uh, very empathic and caring and um, non-judgmental so it's a safe space but I did need to bring up that those things are in the episode but yeah um, I think that with this episode so I didn't release it yesterday which usually the episodes come out on Mondays because I was in a really anxious place yesterday and I was editing the episode and almost had it ready to go and for some reason I just couldn't bring myself to put it out and I've done a lot of thinking or not a lot but I've done some thinking around why and why I'm still even in recording this kind of self-conscious about putting it out there And it's definitely because a lot of the things that I talk about, there aren't necessarily things that I haven't brought up before. I've been super transparent on this podcast the entire time. But I think it's because the things that I talk about are happening to me right now. They're pretty prevalent in my day-to-day, at least in the last couple of days. I've been very anxious definitely um, sort of being very tempted to engage in a lot of my nervous habits which I talk about in this episode and yeah it's just been um, it's been a tough couple days to be really um, sort of at my best in terms of taking care of my mind and body and, and all of that but I've been I think doing a pretty good job of prioritizing and making sure that I'm getting back to where I need to be. But yeah, that's why I think couldn't really bring myself to put it out yesterday. It was an especially anxious day yesterday and why it's still kind of um, difficult today. But even in thinking about whether or not I should put out the episode, I think it's important because I think these are things in our own versions 
that all of us experience. Um, Every day is different. None of us wake up feeling our absolute best every single day. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't um, prioritize our mental well-being and keep it at front of mind. I think it's so important. Um, And yeah, on on the theme of this episode, which you'll hear... I think honesty and transparency is something that all of us need right now. So with that being said, I hope you enjoy this episode with me and my dear friend, Romy Reiner. Thank you for having me. This is so cool. You sa- you have a great podcasting <laughs> voice. Stop. Your voice you. sounds really nice in these headphones. I'm glad you think so. I don't love the sound of my own voice, but I'm glad it's good for you. <laughs> no, it's amazing. Oh my God. You like are lighting up in front of me. It's amazing. You were born to do it. Oh God. <laughs> um, no. Yeah. The voice thing for those who weren't here for the last almost hour, Romy was telling me that she was a little nervous because she thought her voice was raspy because yeah. of the allergies. Yeah. So I thought you might it sound. was a little nasally, a little raspy, but you know, I think I'm getting back to how I actually sound. This mm-hmm. is how I sound, I think. It is how you sound. Yeah. So yeah, the allergies, the voice. Yeah. No, I've been having the weirdest allergy problems lately. I never had allergies until recently, and then I I like went into anaphylactic shock a couple months ago. I had to go to the emergency room. I was on a hike. Wait, this I- is the one... So why we're starting with allergies, also addressing (laughs) the audience, which I don't really do normally, but Romy very nicely said that she, when I, when we were sort of discussing what we were going to talk about today, she didn't want to take up a ton of the time with talking about allergies. Yeah. And I told her, I think it's a, a perfect thing to talk about because I think a lot of us are dealing with allergies and there are a lot of anxieties that go along with dealing with allergies, especially for me, Mm -hmm. but so we're going to we're going to talk about it a little bit. Yeah. But you told me you had an anaphylactic shock experience a couple days ago. Yeah. With the EpiPen. Yeah. But not with an emergency room right. situation. Yeah. Well, that was a couple nights ago. I was just eating Benihana, you know, as one does sometimes. And um, I don't know. I guess I had some shrimp and I my throat started closing and my face got all red and bright and hot and weird in the restaurant. No, we had ordered it. We had literally, that's it's disgusting. Don't judge. We ordered Benihana to my house to eat. And, and then I ate shrimp and like my throat started feeling really tight and weird and swollen. And I was like, do I use the EpiPen? Do I not? Do I just take a ton of Benadryl and go to sleep? Am I going to die? Who knows? You know, like just ride the wave. Um, and I used it, but then I guess you're supposed to go to the hospital every time you use one, but because I was feeling better, I was just like, I need to go to bed. And then I called my doctor and she was like, you're so stupid. Don't do that ever again. To not go into the hospital. You need to like get monitored or whatever after you use one. So, and because I've never had a problem with this ever before, I didn't know exactly how to use it. Why did you have an EpiPen? Because uh, like three months ago I was on a hike and I, my friend was like, oh, don't, don't freak out. But your, your whole body is like bright red. And I was like, what do you mean? And you felt normal? I felt okay. I felt like a little bit of watering in my eyes. And I was like, oh, it's just normal allergy stuff. And then, yeah, I was like, oh my God. I looked at myself in my selfie camera and I decided I don't look good. I look really crazy. And then my throat started just closing. And I was like, I actually couldn't breathe. Yeah. And 
we were about 40 minutes into the hike. It wasn't it wasn't like a round trip. It was like you go in and then you go back out okay. the way you came. And so I had to hike for like 40 minutes back to the car, like barely breathing. And then, yeah, my boyfriend drove me to the hospital where they didn't believe me for a good 35 minutes. They said I was having a panic attack. And I said, I've had panic attacks and I've had to go to the hospital because I thought I was dying from a panic attack before many times. Not many, but maybe twice. Um, and I was like, no, 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 this is not, I, I am mental. I have problems, but I can tell you right now, this is like for real. I'm having <laughs> some kind of throat closure. Like yeah. you're not believing me. Yeah. Finally, someone, some woman came because another person that was in the waiting room was like this girl needs help like I can see she's literally like can't breathe Mm -hmm. and so then a nurse came over and she was like oh my god we really need to get you back there we need to give you an EpiPen and put some fluids in you and then I I ended up being okay but that at that moment they were like okay we need to prescribe you an EpiPen because you have clearly problems yeah (laughs) with the EpiPen is that a scary experience to do it because I've always I'm a little bit afraid of needles yeah, and I've always too. thought you are. Yeah. Is that a scary thing to have to do to yourself? No, because in that moment you're like, oh, I can't breathe. Like I, I think I'm going to die. And so you just have to do it. You know, it goes in it's also in your leg. Yeah. So it's not like in a vein. Like I don't do well at all with IV stuff. No, like, it's terrifying. That really makes me faint. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but this is more just like in your muscle tissue, kind of like just stick it in two seconds, whatever, however many seconds. Yeah. And then you're done. Whoa. But they were like, they had, I had like, like IV Benadryl, IV, like steroids, all this stuff in me. Yeah. But then the other night I was just like, I, I'm just going to do it and then take a Benadryl and go to bed. But yeah. That was not the right move. I don't think. So your allergies come up more in like episodes like that. It's like not like general. Well, but the weird thing is I do have it generally like every day. My nose is stuffy. My eyes are like, my main thing is my ears and throat are always itchy and I make this really weird noise that everyone like makes fun of me for it's like okay it's like this weird noise when do you do that all day because I'm itching I have the worst oh, allergies you itch your throat like, that it's way in my throat I don't know how to explain it Whoa. but um then that's been for the most part the last couple of years and then that happened and I realized oh I have like more severe allergies I yeah. guess so yeah Super fascinating, really annoying. Um. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm just curious because I, I've never had allergies. Like as a kid, I was never allergic right. to anything. There was a moment where like strawberries, I think, were like lending to my eczema, right, but I don't right. think that they were the cause. I think it's always been stress. Yeah, that's a huge part of allergies. Though. Yeah, like I learned that you can like make yourself have worst allergies by stressing and having anxiety about it yeah that's like but then recently so I've never had a history of allergies and then recently I've been blaming a lot of my like once a month miraculously this is like when girls are like I break out once a month and I have no (laughs) idea why and it's like right right your period like it's not a crazy mystery Yeah. yeah but I get this thing like what usually once a month where I'll get but now it's been happening more I think because my hormones are kind of off but I'll Mm -hmm. get like and a lot of this is in my head like people when I talk to my friends about it they're like you don't look any different you're fine Mm. but in my head I look unrecognizably puffy Mm. and broken out and like a total monster (laughs) once a month (laughs) but now it's happening like once every couple like two weeks Mm. or something this will happen 
and I've been blaming these like quote unquote allergies and my mom and like friends that know me well are like, hero, you don't have allergies. Like this is just you having a little, like a ton of anxiety around different things. And so, yeah, that, that kind of like leads to the other thing that we were talking about before we started this is the, the sort of like fixation. Mm -hmm. So for me, my whole cycle and why I think talking about allergies is interesting because I can imagine that for people that have any kind of like body dysmorphic tendencies or like picking habits, it can become really intense, especially if people have allergies around like hives or inflammation or anything. Like I, when I have these allergies that actually aren't allergies, it's just me existing and being a normal human (laughs) that doesn't look exactly the same every single day. When I get puffy and like kind of broken out in my head, I then become insane with picking my skin and like the fixation thing that I brought up I don't know that that's an actual term like in Mm. my like train like in my school we've never brought it up I've never really read about it being like a like an official term but when I'm in like a place of general anxiety in life I tend to fixate on certain things about my body so whether it's like and it's not even, this is separate from like general body dysmorphia. It'll be like one mm-hmm. specific thing. And I know the difference between fix it for me. I know it's a different thing when I'm um, like fixating versus when I just have like general sort of right. self-consciousness around something. When I wake up, it'll be like the, the first, first thing I look at. Yeah. So have that. Yeah. it's been around my skin before. I used to have, now it's way better. But when I stopped like being super obsessive around food like when I stopped calorie counting and like when that kind of transitioned out of being my main obsession it transferred onto this like skin fixation where I would wake up the first thing I would do would be examine my skin if I had a single zit I would like beg my dermatologist for Accutane she never gave it to me luckily because it's just I didn't need it and also that can really fuck you up can really fuck you up um So it's been my skin. It'll be like my face looking puffy. Any one of my friends listening to this are like laughing right now because (laughs) every other time I see any friend, I'm like, how puffy do I look today? It's like a huge thing for me. And now I also have really crazy anxiety around hair loss. Oh, interesting. Because I, and this again, like, sorry for my tangent, has nothing to do with allergies, but (laughs) I think me like sort of, depriving myself for years of proper nutrition led to I have naturally like my dad I got my dad's hair it's like it's very fine um and like kind of thin Mm -hmm. and so I've always had the same hair but I think when I went through my eating disorder I did definitely damage my hair I lost a lot of hair Mm. um and then I think also this past winter going through a breakup being devastated for a bigger, like a bigger chunk of time, I think still like being a little bit anxious and sort of heartbroken. Like I think being in this state of transition too and stress has also maybe affected it. But I also like, don't think it's enough of a diff, like it's not a visible difference, but for some reason for the last month and a half, I've been like totally obsessed with checking my hair Mm. to make sure my hair is not falling out. And it's crazy, like, the amount of hair supplements I take, the scalp, like, oil and shit, it's going insane. Well, I I totally get it, because I feel like with 
everything on the internet, let's say you, and for some reason the algorithm is so great that it knows exactly what your problem is right now. For some reason, yesterday I get an ad on Instagram. It said, I mean, I'm paraphrasing. It's like, you hate your cellulite, right? And I'm like, who's talking to me right now? Like, why do you know I think about my cellulite on my legs? Like, and that now you're trying to give me a treatment on how to get rid of it when I'm a human being and everyone has it. And now I'm starting to think, why is there a solution for everything that's wrong or people that think that's wrong with you? It's so upsetting and it feeds into the mental health body dysmorphia stuff. If you're on the internet, just plainly, like it just is such a bad reinforcement of those feelings, I think. Um, Yeah. But I can relate to you on the, the picking thing, which... I don't talk about a lot ever because it's super embarrassing. It feels really, uh, you feel alone in it because you don't see people doing it that often, like in public. So I, I've always been like a self soother. And I think a lot of what it is is self self soothing. And so when I was a kid, I used to like feel my hair, like just strands of it, like in a way that was repetitive and very much like meditative. Mm -hmm. And, and I think, over the years, as I've gotten older, it, I still do it, but it's it's gotten worse because now I'm picking things in my head or I'm picking things on my skin. And you want to get rid of whatever this imperfection is on your body. But then once you pick it, it becomes way worse because it becomes inflamed and red and there's a scar and then you need to get rid of the scar. And then it's this cycle that literally doesn't seem to end. And... Um, I've talked to a couple friends who also have major picking problems and it's very, it's something that people are ashamed of because I mean, for me, you know, I do it on my head and most people walk by, don't see the damage I've done on my scalp, but I know what I've done. And it's this weird internal thing where people, Oh, your hair is so beautiful. Oh, you have such great hair. And it's like, thank you. I appreciate it. But you don't know that I have some serious problems and like underneath my hair is like a minefield of shit that I am doing all the time to myself. And that's because people do it to their face. I do it like right now I have like, I think more like redness on my face than I usually, cause I'm anxious. Right. And like even earlier today, like, and what you said too about not, cause it usually will happen. Like if I think it'll start, like, I think I'm a little puffy then I feel so out of control and like not like myself that I need to like do something active to return my physical appearance to what it was. And so, yeah. And so what gives you that feeling of control is like, if you lean in and there's like a pimple or like a blackhead and you can like get it out, like if you can change something like, and it visibly is changing, I think that it makes us feel like we're actually doing something to fix this, like, apparent issue. Right. It's a little bit addictive, too. Totally. When, when you get that feeling, it's almost a satisfying feeling where yeah. it's like, oh, that's done. That's out of me. And yeah. now I can move on either to the next thing I can take away or, you know, when I talk to my therapist about all this, because I've like I said earlier, I've developed tendonitis literally in my wrist from my self-harm. Not self-harm because I, it is a form of self-harm because if you are picking so much to the point where you're bleeding, yeah. like that's not good, obviously. I'm not like doing anything worse, but um, now my wrist is so has so much pain in it from doing a repetitive motion over and over again 
that I have to wear a brace on my wrist for like the most part. And it's people are like, Oh, what'd you do to your wrist? Yeah. And I'm like, I wish I could say, Oh, I fell off a horse or, or I did something bad, you know, but it's really because I have a problem that yeah. I pick my own skin and head so much that it hurts my own muscles in my wrist. Like what the fuck? That's insane. And yeah. I don't tell people that because it's, it's really embarrassing but I think more people than not have these kind of issues. And I just don't think we talk about it. It's interesting too, like the need to, and this, you can, I think this can relate to so many things. Like even with me having like an eating disorder or like having dealt with bulimia, like right. there's this weird thing with harmful self-soothing mm-hmm. around like removing right. and like depriving yourself or like taking away. Mm-hmm. But then on the other end, there's like people that overeat to self-soothe oh, and then it's that. like an adding thing, but it's weird. And I wonder how that relates to like your personality, your past traumas. Right. Like, why is it that like, for me, it's a soothing thing to like take away from my body and for other people, it's a soothing thing to add to their body. I have the opposite problem in terms of like food. I think when I was modeling, when I was like 14, 15, I was way underweight, but that was more of a that was just how I looked at the time. And then all the stuff from society started seeping into my mind. And then I was like being more conscious of what I ate. Yeah. But now I'm more like my dad where I just overeat because it's comforting and it's nice. And then I make myself sick, like almost on the daily where I, I, I do fine during the day. And then something happens at night where I just like need to eat a lot of food. Make yourself sick, like in a, like a purging no, way no, no, no. or like, 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 like I'm just so full and I'm like, Oh my right. God, I'm so bloated. I ate, I don't know why I ate like seven pieces of that cake for no reason. And yeah. I'm just like, it was great and amazing while I was putting it in my face. But now I'm sitting here and I'm ill and I don't know what to do. Like that's for me is like, I, instead of depriving food, I'm like, I overdo it. And then I get, I don't feel so good. Do you have something that helps you manage that or not? Not at all. I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's hard because I smoke weed. And so weed sometimes either helps or hurts that it can, Mm. it can make me want to eat more. And then it can also make me feel like, you know, I don't need to eat as much, but I, I don't know for me, the, the eating stuff is not my problem so much as like what you were saying is like you wake up and there's a certain part of you or whatever that you look at every day. And it's like, it'll be, some days it'll be my stomach. I'll like fixate. I'm like, Oh, does my stomach look acceptable to society today? And I'm like, no one's going to see it. What am I doing to myself and my mind that I am obsessing over this part of my body that houses organs that are making me live, you know? It's just so upsetting what we do to ourselves, I think. I think so, too. My thing that I do, I've, like, recently done a lot of thinking around, just because I am, I have been in an anxious place, and so a lot Mm -hmm. of me is very tempted to get into so many of these habits that we're talking about, and I've had to think a lot recently about, like, what I can, what tools I can actively use to minimize those behaviors, and I think it's interesting because, like, when you go to, like, I'm in therapy, and we don't talk about, like, very practical, small tools to to minimize these behaviors at the moment that they're very tempting. A lot of the time, you're addressing, like, the bigger issue, and it's like, right, I could therapize myself to no end about these bigger issues. Like, I know the root. I know the childhood thing. I know, like, the moment that I was, like, 
here and made to feel ashamed and all mm-hmm. this stuff. Like I know all of it, but then it doesn't stop me from yeah. like when I wake up to pee at 2 a.m., I like will like take off all of my clothes and look at myself naked to make sure I like look okay to myself, right. which is so no, psychotic. I, I do it too. Yeah. I have the same problem. I, I think body dysmorphia is so scary because yeah. I think, you know, this thing that I have with a friend of mine, we will, let's say, take photos together. Then yeah. we'll sit on the couch and we'll sit next to each other looking at the photos and I'll see the photo of her and I'll say, oh my God, you're literally stunning. Like you are a goddess. I love you. You look incredible. I am jealous. Right. And she'll say, I think I look horrific in that picture and you look amazing in the photo I took of you. And then I'll see the photo and I'll say, I hate the way right, I look in like that picture. Right, it's like the same. It's so weird how you can sit down with someone and literally look at these images and have such different feelings about yourself versus how others see you. It's I think, really crazy. I think that the thing that really helps with that and what helps like me when I look at myself or even a picture of myself, because I, a lot of the time, like look at pictures of myself and I'm like, this just doesn't look like right. me. And I'm like, but it does look like me because that is what I look like. Right, right. But I like can't accept that yeah. a lot of the time. And something that really has helped me is like, and then with the picking too, because I am a, like, I'll pick my face to just like, lean out of the mirror like when you you know how when you lean in that's when you're like shit goes like shit hits the fan (laughs) when you lean in just like in that moment taking a breath and like leaning out and taking a step away from the mirror and then even when you like go to look at your body in the mirror or something and you're like gonna fixate just like stepping away away, not even like you don't even have to fully turn away like sometimes I'll go through days and I'm like I just won't look in the mirror I don't brush I don't look at myself when I brush my teeth I've never I've never done that if you can just like step away and zoom out and just like see yourself as a whole person rather than like getting close enough to like zoom in on like your arm your stomach your legs or whatever like it does really help. And then in pictures as well, like seeing a picture of myself, I'll stop like, cause I think because it's you, like when you look at a photo of another person, because it's not you, yeah, you're not like looking at the, like of, I don't know, in, in some picture of like a, like a, your best friend or like your mom or whoever, a stranger, mm-hmm. because it's someone else, you're looking at the whole person. You're not like zooming in on like their arm or right. their neck or something. Right. Whereas like with you, you all right, I think you feel like you're past the point of just like taking in yourself as a whole being. So you immediately go to like, okay, what ab- what about me here is wrong? Right. Um, that's not speaking for everyone, but I no, do that. Yeah. And so to kind of like make yourself stop when you start to do mm-hmm. it and just like engage in the exercise of like looking at yourself as a whole being right. yeah. is very helpful. That's amazing. Yeah, I think... And then also maybe removing certain things. Like if you have a magnifying mirror, do not have that in your room, in your house, whatever. If that's something that you go towards to pick, like just remove certain things that would allow more picking. Mother's bathrooms are the most toxic places. (laughs) There's like a scale. There's a magnifying mirror. There's like every device that for me is just like a war zone. I know. I have not. Yeah. That's another thing. Interesting. Um, I, I haven't weighed myself in years yeah so because that used to be a thing and then I remember I went to the doctor recently and they were like okay it's time to weigh yourself and I'm like I don't want I don't want to know yeah like I don't want to see I turn around yeah and they're like are you sure and I'm like 
No, yeah, I know I'm sure. I, you know what's interesting is I usually base off of how I feel on, like, how my clothes fit or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Or just, like, how I feel in my body. And I think weight and knowing certain numbers can be a trap for your own mind that you don't need. Yeah. Well, my person, my um, nutritionist slash therapist woman, Elise, when I was, like, really in the thick of my eating disorder, she always told me like never weigh yourself right because either way it's going to be triggering mm-hmm. if you see a number yeah. that's like low enough for you yeah. you're going to want to go lower, lower or stay there and if you see one that's like More. any higher you're going to have a panic attack right so just don't do it yeah no, um, that's how I feel yeah and I'm at the point now like for a while like I would like lie to her and tell mm-hmm. her I wasn't and I would and like I couldn't part with having a, a scale, and now I think yeah, it's been a couple years since I've had one, and I just like can't. I've like had moments where I'm like, do I do it? And then mm. I'm like, no. no. It's like too, it's upsetting to me yeah. the idea of like seeing. I don't know. I think as I think in terms of trying to figure out things to cope with these problems, um, it's interesting. I want to be able to love myself for the way that I am and not what I look like or feel like. Like I want to feel proud of who I am and not just pictures or what I look like to other people or whatever. And so I think keeping that in mind when I'm going through these cycles in my head of like obsessing over my body or certain parts of me that I don't feel are right or good enough. um, I, I think just remembering like, you have people that love you, you love your family or whatever that you do love around you. Just remember that and not to get too caught up. Cause I, I do then go into these existential moments where I am like, fuck this. I fuck it. this life. Like what the fuck are we doing? Why am I trapping my own mind and body uh, in this crazy world that we're living in when so much is going on and it's all out of my control for the most part. Um, and so yeah. I kind of get into these bigger picture moments where then I'm like, yeah, fuck it. I'm, I'm good. I'm okay. And then I go to bed and wake up the next day and I'm just like, oh, my stomach gets so big. Right. <laughs> and right, I'm like, right. What happened? Yeah. What happened in that, in that couple of hours where I thought I was okay. And then I wake up doing the same shit. It's wild. Yeah. That switch is a really big mystery. Cause I'll yeah. go through, I'll go through the same things where I'm like, Oh, I don't. And it's, yeah, we're all feel totally fine. I'll feel fulfilled in every way. And I'm like, it doesn't matter. Like the last thing on my mind is my physical appearance mm-hmm. or like anything like that. And then nothing will change like externally. <laughs> and my inner sort of like dialogue just completely flips. I know. And there's nothing to like blame. And sometimes it's just totally like out of our control. And mm-hmm. it's so crazy. Yeah. I totally feel that. Do you ever have moments? Cause you're very open on like your Instagram about mm-hmm. like all of your body dysmorphia mm-hmm. stuff. What made you want to start sharing all of that? Cause you do it in a way that's like very, I don't want to say like explicit, but like kind of. Yeah. I mean, I just want to be as open and honest with people because I find that the people that are role models or celebrities or whoever right now are so not genuine about how they actually are about themselves. It's mm. such a detriment to society and to human beings, I think. And I think as long as we can all start being a little bit more honest with ourselves and each other, it would make everyone else feel better. And so, you know, I see, let's say, I'm not going to call out anyone because I don't, I'm not going to do yeah. that. But if, if, let's say someone who's had a lot of surgery says, I haven't had surgery... 
that's really really like dangerous for young people or whoever that's that's following them um because then you get this idea that there's these standards in the world that you can't achieve and that this person isn't even being honest with you about how they got it so I just want people to know that like models or whoever also have these problems and and we have to be honest about where they come from and so um I definitely talk about it on my Instagram and it's funny because people will say like what the fuck do you have to complain about? Or what do you, mm. you look great. You post your shit all the time. You post your body and your face. Like, why are you saying you have these problems? And I'm like, that's the reason. Like I, I can post this and I can look this way and also feel horrible. Yeah. And it's this weird dichotomy that I don't think a lot of people understand. Cause I think they, they see me and they think, Oh, well she's confident. She thinks she's cool, whatever. Yeah. And it's so not the case. It's just a front. You can have a persona on Instagram that isn't you. But I also don't think it has to be like a total front. Like I think a lot of like the you that you are on a line is like very much you. It's for just sure. like a, a version of you. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I don't think it's like fake. In no, any way. it's not fake, but it, it can be, you know, I think you can hide behind a veil of the internet. Oh, yeah. A lot of the time. Completely. I, though, too, I think it's what you said um, with people being like, what do you have to complain about? Like, you look totally fine. Right, right. Um, even with, I don't know, talking to, like, friends of mine, when I'll be sitting there, like, f- perseverating so bad about, like, my f- like my face and, like, how puffy I look or, like, a breakout or something, and they're like, you are, there's no difference. You're being totally delusional. Mm. Even if I am being totally delusional and even if it's all in my head, that doesn't minimize the amount of, like, total like inner paralysis I'm experiencing where like I can't it's like difficult to even leave the house sometimes um yeah it's crazy totally um I agree with that um and I think the same goes with mental health stuff you can present as someone who has privilege or who has all the tools and accessibility to things that can help which can seem like an incredible opportunity, but at the same time, if you're still feeling however you're feeling, which is, you know, depressed or whatever, for me in my case, that doesn't matter. Like, for some reason, it's still horrible, and I feel like doom inside my head, and and it feels worse that I have access to these things because I still feel bad. And that's the weird thing that people, I think, think, you know, if you have... um, uh, the ability to get help or medication, which I do have and I'm on, um, that that's the end of it. Right. When it's so not, it almost makes it worse when you're like, oh, I've not gotten better and I have all of this to help me. That's the thing too of people saying like, I can't even tell you how many podcasts I've listened to of people that I really admire going like, I thought that when I got my Pete or like this is people in like the professional field that I'm going into, which is like the mental health space. When people who are therapists or like researchers or something like when they're like, I thought that when I got my PhD, I would be totally good. Or when I got my master's, I'd be good. And then I didn't, I wasn't good. So then I got my PhD and then I thought I would be happy finally. And then I didn't, and then earth satisfied or have like a good amount of self-worth. And then I didn't. So I got my second PhD. I forget. I think it was like, I, it wasn't Brene Brown or Glennon Doyle. I forget who it was. It was a, a therapist. It wasn't. 
oh, I don't know who it was, mm-hmm. but I was listening to someone talk about that the other day being like, I thought that I would be like totally happy once I achieved this. And like, that also goes into like, they had the means to go right. get that level of education. They had the support behind them. They had access to like every, like it takes a lot to mm-hmm. go, to go on to any kind of higher education. Um, but yeah, once you get, and like, that's like me with my eating disorder, I had access to like the best nutritionist, the best rehab, the best therapist, like medication, anything like my parents were supportive and I was miserable still. Yeah. No, I very much relate to that. And it then feels worse when people are like, you're horrible. You're all this stuff because you've been able to have that opportunity to, to get better. And you, you're not. (laughs) And it's also not because it's being taken for granted. Like I fully, when I was in all of that, like would talk to my therapist every day about like how lucky I felt to be in there, like working it, really taking full advantage. And it's still just like, I don't know. I think it's a time thing. That's mental health though. I mean, I think that's the thing that I think sometimes therapy, talk therapy and medication can help and work for certain people. And sometimes it can be in conjunction with other types of, um, you know, remedies or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I, I, have you found that yourself? I, I mean, I've been on so many different antidepressant, anti-anxiety meds since I was like, 15 16 and it's not and I and I've taken breaks I've taken like four or five year breaks in between and I'm back on meds now but I'm on a super low dose because I'm super sensitive to medications and things like that so but no I don't feel great I I think I try and I talk to my therapist and I do work I try to be mindful and do everything that I'm supposed to do but at the same time the weight of everything still there and I and I still feel it very much um but I think things like this honestly like this podcast and being allowed to talk to people um uh, truly about how you feel is such a great way to start healing I think in a way oh the number one that's like me me doing this podcast I had no again as I've said it so many times on the podcast it wasn't ever my goal to be a podcaster <laughs> like that's just not anything that was in my like psyche it just yeah it felt so unlike me but I knew that the only thing that made me feel actually like in that moment so much better and so healed and so sort of like relieved from all of the weight of my mental health issues that I was facing was talking to people Mm -hmm. honestly like nothing else helped as much and that's why I started the podcast is like not only to to hopefully allow other people to feel that but to allow me to feel it like that's why I keep going with it no matter how many like listeners I have it doesn't matter how like small the podcast is even if it did get bigger one like it just doesn't matter to me I do it most like a lot for myself and then like thank god that it makes other people feel good too yeah no that's amazing I think and just quickly I you you would ask why I talk about certain things on the internet so openly and um not because of this but I will find that I'll get messages from people who will say things like oh my gosh um you're speaking to exactly what I'm going through and it's very comforting to see someone else 
uh, openly talk about that. And it could be a 58-year, faith, sorry, 58-year-old guy from like Oklahoma yeah. who, I've, who has, I don't know. Totally. And I'm just like, oh, sick. And like, <laughs> whatever it is, if it's a whoever, but I just, it makes you, it, it validates the reason of why you should continue to be open and post about this stuff. Cause people really dig it. And they think they feel less alone in their feelings when people can broadcast this kind of pain or whatever. Yeah. I totally, th- I think that this is so the future, like just being able to like the thing too, that's hard is that even when celebrities and I use that, I, I don't know. I just think that they're so sort of like, I, everyone sort of uses like whatever celebrities they follow as like the vector of like success. <laughs> and like, this is like the right. top of life. Right. People who are like celebrities who are sharing mental health issues. It's like one post usually amid like hundreds of like beautiful, perfect, like stunningly glamorous pictures. Mm-hmm. And then like one photo being like, I had a really tough day today and this is what I did to soothe myself. And everyone's like, yes, queen, like yeah. amazing. Like friends I have in the mental mm-hmm. health space reposting being like, this is it. And I'm like, we all, I do this shit every day. Right. right. Like, like I think and we're that. all dealing with this. Like, and I just think it can't be so novel of like, and not that we should no, all I be just, sharing yeah. like every day, this kind of thing. But I think just like, it is a little bit of a problem, like how, um, polar opposite, like there's just such a big dichotomy between like, the normal po- quote unquote normal posts and then are normal yeah. like, bits of sharing and then the mental health the one honest yeah yes it's like the honest shouldn't be novel it should be kind of standard even if your photo is stunning it's like I totally agree and I think that's a great point because you know you can feel great and empowered for posting something honest about your mental state and think oh I'm this pioneer and whatever <laughs> and you're not and and the, it, it's interesting too when you see I think it can almost sometimes, in a way, depending on the way that it's done, can be detrimental. Like, let's say someone, I'm sure if I mention it, people will understand what I'm saying. There's someone who is a supermodel who posts a picture of them crying and saying, I've had a really hard time. But then they continue to uphold this unrealistic standard of beauty and all this stuff in every other post that they're doing, and they're not doing anything to try and change that. And then they post one thing that says, oh, it's actually hard for me. And then continue to post the, the harmful things for others to ingest. And, and to me, that's a little bit hard to get behind because uh, it feels a little disingenuous. Yeah, I also like, I don't know, my whole thing around all of that, and like I think that we're like definitely alluding to a lot of these like young models with mm-hmm. a ton of plastic surgery, which like, I don't know, I knew some of them from like horseback riding. Right. I don't like, this sounds like very hateful and like outing, but like I knew these people and like, I've seen the transformation mm-hmm. and I know that you don't, I was talking to my friend about this the other, the other day is like the whole narrative of like, I grew into myself. I'm like, <laughs> dude, I'm your age. I'm waiting for my facial transformation, like to look like fucking a exactly. fairy from heaven with not a single flaw like exactly when is it gonna happen for me i'm, I'm waiting not... for my 23 year old nose job to happen miraculously uh without surgery Dude, but it what i happened. would give to wake up with my eyebrows like a half an inch higher <laughs> so, 
I would like do anything, terrible things for me to wake up, but it's just but not. But they don't wake up. Right. Like you that. don't wake up like that. You just don't. And that's not true. You're going to, I'm having, um, I'm actually recording this episode tomorrow. My friend, um, Nusha, who's not, she's not a surgeon, but she does, she's a cosmetic dermatologist. Right. So she does a lot of injectables, mm-hmm. but I want to talk to her about this thing. Cause like, I don't hate on any of it. I think no, it's amazing. Me neither. I've had a little put in my lips at times. Like I've, I think it's like totally cool and fine. Do whatever you want. You have this one life to live, like fully like get a face transplant <laughs> do whatever you want I think yeah. anything I think the thing though is like the dishonesty around it being natural and then that being upheld as the beauty standard because you are speaking because my, my no one t- is gonna look like that you're literally preaching this this sermon that I give whatever it is to whoever will listen all the time I say the same thing I say you know it's totally fine. You can get whatever work you want to have done. It's your body, your money, your life. Like, totally. Yeah. But you need and should have to be honest about these things because if you're not, then that is contributing to this horrible standard that people think is real in terms of beauty when it really isn't. And I think it makes things a lot worse if you're just not true and honest about it. it it's really bad. Yeah. I also, think. like... Here's the thing I think, because then the lifestyle too, like, because now it's not even just like the face that's like on a godlike level because it's not real, like it's been manipulated to be more perfect. But then it's the the lifestyle that's unmatchable too. Mm-hmm. It's like the degree of wealth and access. It is like out of this stratosphere, right. like unattainable. All of that is visible to us. Like, the complete package is visible to us in a way that, like, is actually toxic in terms of, like, how we compare and think about our own lives. And I can only say that because, like, I don't know, just in this moment I thought about, like, well, like, there have always been celebrities and there have always been, like, glamorous, beautiful people that you're meant to look at and go, like, wow, if only. Mm Because there have been movie stars for, like, decades and decades and decades. And so, like, I love – I think there's a certain amount of, like – I don't know. My first dream was to be a fashion photographer because I'd like look in Vogue and see mm-hmm. the photos that are like Vanity Fair and like Annie Leibovitz's photos and go like, oh my God, like it's a dreamland. I am so for that. I think that a certain amount of like glamour and beauty and like this is magic, like this is not right. real life. That's amazing. And it makes people dream and it's beautiful. That's why I like believe in fashion and I believe in movies and celebrity. Like I think it's all great. The issue is that like we um, we have a window into the curated lives of these, like these people have the ability to put on display their whole lives to the extent that they want to. Mm-hmm. Obviously we don't see their whole lives, but like to the extent that they want to in a way that wasn't possible before. Like when I was growing like really little and like looking at magazines and supermodels, like it was like Giselle Bündchen on a Vogue cover. She didn't have Instagram because Instagram didn't exist, mm-hmm. right? And like movies before, like I'd see a beautiful movie star or something, like Angelina Jolie and like something, and like Lara, as like Lara Croft. And I was like, she's like amazing and so beautiful. She looks like a Barbie doll, but like I, she didn't have Instagram and wasn't like posting like her cars, her homes, the planes, the thing. Like that's the part that to me is like oh we've never experienced this before and like it is obviously like detrimental to the self-esteem of many mm-hmm. totally so I, this is yeah. not to like def like bash all like celebrity no I but know. i think 
And I think it's like the chicken or the egg, you know, is it, is it Instagram or is it just how we've become as human beings and, and what it's we want to promote? It's and, fully that. Yeah. And so I think the scary thing about, this has been the case since humanity, uh, having body parts or, or parts of yourself becoming a trend, um, or the, the most popular thing. So right now, let's say, maybe not in the world, but on Instagram, it's the big BBL butts and the tiny waist and a great body and like these lips, the perfect nose. It's like this manufactured body that if you showed someone that, I don't know, 10, 15, 20, 30 years, however many years ago, they would say, oh my God, what is that? And and we just accept it as, oh, that's the trending body right now. Right, because remember they used to like, I mean, I say remember as if I was around, <laughs> but in the times of like Marie Antoinette, they would like pluck your hairline right. to have a bigger forehead because that meant you were like affluent or something. Right. And, and so I think this trending, making a human being or a body part trending is really scary for us. And because we're inundated with these images all the time, yeah. and we don't know what's edited. We don't know what's enhanced surgically or um, on the internet. I think it just is this cesspool of insecurities and self-esteem issues that we're all facing. And I would love to get back to a more um, just uh, look, people can do whatever they want in terms of enhancing themselves, but it's really, to me is just about the honesty part of it, which I wish was more prevalent, I think. Yeah. But then again, like, and not to like totally refute everything we've just said, because I think about this all the time, but then I'm like, I mean, we could also just, like, have a more lighthearted viewpoint and be like, all right, go off. Right. Do it. Yeah, fuck it. You look sick. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. You look really cool, and I love it. Yeah, love it. Amazing. Like, I love watching your content. Like, love looking at it. Go ahead. Like, I'm not going to read into it too much. So I think it's also, like, just, like, two sides of a single coin. Like, you can really go in, as we've just done, on, like, how toxic it can be. But you can also be like, whatever. It's right, fine. Do right. what you want. But that Because takes... then you're choosing to, like, put your energy there. Yeah. But, again, it's also enticing. And that goes back, like, what you were yeah. saying with, like, the social media thing of, like, chicken or the egg. Like, is it the app and the algorithms or is it how we've become as humans? I mean, this is a very slippery slope because, like, there are, like, actual like scientists. I don't actually know that to be a fact. But there are people <laughs> whose job it is to make Instagram, like – to have them like, I don't know, market cellulite things for you. Right. And like the amount of shit that I see now about like hair supplements, hair loss, hair vitamins. And I buy How into all know? of it because it's listening all the time. I know. So even though that's a thing and it's actually very real, mm-hmm. you could also just say like, yes, but it's without the humans engaging, it's nothing. Right. Like it is all us. Yeah. What are your overwhelming thoughts feel and, and look like? Because then I would like mm-hmm. to talk to you about having panic attacks because I know I've had my yeah. own version of them. But yeah. I think mine are very specific. I actually, you know what? I don't think I've had a panic attack. I think I've had mm. moments of Ex- being emotionally anxious and overwhelmed to the point of like feeling paralyzed. Right. I don't think I've had a full-blown panic attack. Mm-hmm. But I do know what it feels like to be hit with a wave of overwhelming, catastrophic thoughts. Right, and I'd right. like to know what yours so or like mine is more of a global <laughs> it doesn't really have to do with me it more is about oh my god this world is 
crumbling and corrupt and horrific and, and scary and why, what is there to continue on living for? I know that's really dark and I'm sorry, but that, that's my like daily, like, what am I doing? What am I doing with my life? What is anyone doing? This whole thing could end. We're all just like part of this world where there's so much trauma all the time, every day for everyone. Yeah. Sometimes I wonder what is the goal. And I think it's just to try and find happiness. And I, that's, I guess what I'm trying to do at some point. But when I used to have, I haven't had a panic attack in a long time, knock on wood a little bit because that's scary shit. But, um, it's a, it feels like you're having a heart attack. Mm. And like the two times I've had severe panic attacks, I had to go to the hospital cause I thought, I was literally having a heart problem. I already have. Okay, because yeah. I've had that. I've had something that I thought was a, a heart attack. Yes. And I was driving myself to the hospital, which yes. I don't know why I was driving myself there. Well, that's crazy. That's scary that you, but at least you were able to. Yeah. The times that I've had it, um, you kind of get into this thing where you're like, I can't breathe. I, I can't breathe. There's no air coming in. And my heart, I already, I have a problem with my heart. It beats too fast. I don't know why. It usually has to do with people who are like really vigorous exercisers. Mm. I don't have that problem. I am very stationary. So <laughs> I'm like, I don't know why I have a fast heart rate, but so I've always known about that, but there were these two times where I was like, Oh, I'm dying. I'm literally dying. I think mm. I'm dying. You have this overwhelming doom dread, whatever comes over your whole body and head where you're like, I can't breathe. I'm having a heart attack. I need help. Um, and it kind of, you know, when you get to the hospital, you feel like a fucking idiot because they're like, you're fine. You're literally fine. You're just having a panic attack. You, oh. You're not having a heart attack. You uh, will just get you on like a sedative, chill you out for a bit. And then, yeah. you're, and then you'll be fine to go home. But you need some help mentally, <laughs> you know. And so that's kind of it feels really silly when you're there and you're like, damn, not that I wish I had a heart right. attack. But, you know, you're like, OK. I was having a major uh, moment where my my physical body, the anxiety took over that part of me. But are your thoughts, because when mine came on, and again, I actually don't know if this was me, maybe actually having really like a mini heart attack. Cause like my, the, the, I forget what arm it is, but the arm that like is meant to feel really sore when you're having a heart attack, oh, that did happen so to me. Weird. Yeah, so I don't really know. Um, what it was mm -hmm. but in the moment that it happened the, ch the chest tightening thing and it also lasted until I fell asleep the chest tightening does, so does that happen yeah, yeah. during a panic attack uh -huh. yeah so it lasts but when you went into that because mine I don't think I like I didn't recognize that there was like a huge onslaught of anxious thoughts there, for me there weren't there weren't it's, it's just so random weird. okay yeah. okay I think this is what I had yeah I think no, it is well the first time I had it I was in Westwood with like a group of my girlfriends I was about 16 and I was just we were sitting eating donuts I think some people were smoking cigarettes whatever I was just like oh my god I'm like dying I was like you guys I'm about to faint or I'm about to have a heart attack I don't know what's going on mm. luckily we were right next to UCLA and they drove me and I fainted on the way like I was out unconscious a little bit yeah and then I got and woke up in the hospital bed and they were like you know, what happened before I was like, I don't know. I was eating a donut. I was totally fine. I was just sitting with my friends and I, Oh, I just, I couldn't breathe my throat. Like everything felt 
completely panicked and mm. I needed um, help. And so, but I will have horrible feelings and not a panic attack a lot of the time. But the panic attack doesn't necessarily, I won't be thinking of something specific that triggers it. Right. It's very random, it feels. Yeah, that's kind of how mine felt. Because I didn't, if it was a panic attack that I felt. Because I, I remember thinking, am I having a panic attack? No, I don't think so because it's not like all of a sudden my emotions were running wild. Like it felt just, it was very physical. It's physical. I think it's a physical anxiety thing. And I think it does, maybe it's subconscious. Maybe you are subconsciously feeling or thinking something, but it's, for me, it wasn't on the surface. So I was like, what's going on? Yeah. Yeah. It's scary though. I mean, damn, I I feel that's crazy. You had to drive yourself. Yeah, it was insane. Hospital. It was crazy. I then ended up passing the hospital and just driving to my mom's oh, house. Oh, really? Yes, I didn't go to the... I went... Because pa- I didn't think I was... Yeah, I don't know what it's I... confusing. What I thought was happening. My mom also, I think, didn't take it very... Like, I was on the phone with her, and she was like, you can drive yourself to the hospital. And then when I was passing it, I called her, and I was like... I don't know if I feel at the point of needing to be hospitalized. And she was like, well, then just drive 10 minutes further to my house. Right. And then I just lied in bed until I fell asleep. That's good. But it was very odd. I don't know. (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, at least I think it's interesting because, like, I couldn't drive myself. I was, like, complete. Like, my whole body had kind of gone, like, like I was no longer Yeah, yours was definitely more severe than Um, whatever I was dealing with. It's interesting how you can feel anxiety in such a way where you're, like, oh, I need help. You know it, or you need something to help ground you. Yeah. It's super scary. I I go through waves of having more anxiety versus more depression, and so sometimes they'll happen at the same time, but it usually kind of ebbs and flows. What is your... Because I think, like, on this podcast, I definitely reference and, like, talk about depression and anxiety a lot, but I don't very often go into it and what it feels like. And I think... It, Honestly, a lot of people here, they're like such pot, like hot button, like they're like buzzwords right now, but it's very rare that people really go in on like what those things feel like for each person. What is your depression and anxiety feel like both of them? Yeah. So I think, uh, I will speak for myself because I think everyone probably definitely feels different about their own depression and anxiety and it it expresses, it comes out in different ways. So my dad has had, has been, has had pretty much clinical depression his entire life since he was a kid. And that's Mm -hmm. how I've felt and have been diagnosed, whatever with that. And I don't know if it's a genetic thing, if it can be passed down or if it just is, But um, for me, the depression feels like I can't really move. And it feels like I can't get up. I can't do anything. I can't. It kind of goes to this place of um, paralysis. Mm. Yeah, where I'm just like, um, there's nothing that will make this better. It's like a doomsday kind of feeling. Um, And it, it, thank God, like recently in my life, I've not been, it was very severe when I was in high school. Like I couldn't get up to go to school a lot of days. And it was like, oh, what's wrong with you? You're so privileged. You're this white girl going to a private school. Like, why can't you just get This it was to- like your dialogue yeah, to I, yourself. Yeah. Well, that was my dialogue and others to me. Okay. And it's like, 
yeah, what is my problem? Clearly it's very much deeper than just, um, you know, feeling sad. It was like a severe chemical imbalance in yeah. my brain that I was like, I can't move. I literally am heavy and I can't move like physically. Mm. And then it would also be your mind feeling like, what's the point? And it's weird because I've never been, I, I've been suicidal, but never to the point of doing anything or acting on it, but feeling like I don't want to do this anymore. You know, it's this feeling of like, I can't do this for much longer. Mm-hmm. And, and thank God I'm out of that state for a while now. Um, but it's this weird feeling of being really trapped inside your own mind. And, and you're like, your body then becomes paralyzed. That for me is how at least that was. And then the anxiety is such a different thing because I'd almost rather have depression than anxiety because my anxiety presents very much like I cannot breathe. My heart's going at 150 and I, I, I think I'm going to have a heart attack and I, I can't breathe. And then I go into these like bouts of extreme yawning because there's no oxygen going to my brain. Right. And I feel like I'm going to pass out. Wow. It's really intense. So your anxiety, as I had said before, is like episodic. Like yeah. it comes up in like surges. Yes. Okay. Exactly. And it, for no reason, seemingly, I'm sure there is an underlying reason, but in the moment I'm just like, oh my God, I'm, I'm out of my mind right now. I can't breathe. I can't get a breath. Mm-hmm. I can't get a full breath in. And that's the scariest to me. I'd rather feel catatonic and, and down than, than I can't physically breathe. Yeah, I think both sides of your experience, like with the depression and the anxiety, are so sort of severe. It sounds yeah. like they're so severe that like it's interesting to hear with because neither one of those obviously is something that you would no. choose. No. And so it's interesting to hear like which you saying that you would pick the depressive oh my God. one. Because I at least with that I feel um completely lethargic and I'm like I can veg out and sit and watch a TV for eight hours and be like, that's the, that's the most I could do today physically. And then with the other, it's, um, I really can't control my breath and it's really scary. It feels life threatening almost. Yeah. And it's not fun. Neither are fun. What helps you to sort of, cause when you're in the depressive state of feeling catatonic and not, is there a part of you that questions if you'll ever come out of it a hundred percent yeah but then that's the thing is like uh I'm very close to my parents and I really love them so much and I appreciate them and I I think when I'm in that place especially with my dad um I go to him and I'm like uh what am I gonna do I need help and he's like just write it out you know he gives Mm -hmm. me these like little like words or sentences of advice because he has the exact same problem. And so he's like, just breathe and know that today is the day that you could just sit there and veg out or whatever. Um, and just let that be, you will be better. You will get out of it. Just don't try to force it because that creates more anxiety. Yeah, Yeah. I'm sure. Because also the thing, like, I'm sure that you have, especially in this world when like, again, you look online, everyone's like, every day seemingly like doing the most and like getting all these things done. And so to have a day where you're just, I did it yesterday Mm -hmm. where I was like, I really not because I was so depressed, but like I felt like my body was totally worn out. I felt like I was on the verge of getting super sick. I thought that I had some sort of cold yesterday. Like I really needed to take a day to do nothing. Yeah, And it 
took a lot of intentional sort of exercises to make sure that I didn't get into a thought pattern of really intense self-loathing right. and comparison. Um, totally. And yeah, totally. Because no, it's I, hard I to totally not beat yourself that. up. But did your, with your dad always having yeah. it, did you witness that when you were younger oh God, and kind yeah. of like wonder what was going on? Oh yeah, it was horrible. I mean, for so long, and he has been in therapy like forever in his life and psychoanalysis and all that. When I was younger... I would be, because my parents are very different. My mom's like, go, go, go. She's always up. She's always, she yeah. hates sitting. My she, mom is the same. Like, she just looks at me and my dad in disgust when we're watching <laughs> TV. She's like, how are you sitting there yeah. in the middle of the day? Don't you need to be doing things? Right. And I'm like, no, like, this is good for me right now. And so growing up, having him kind of, he would go into these um, kind of states where he would, just be really quiet and do his things. So um, he would end up having his Tetris or um, like a, a crossword puzzle or whatever his thing was at the time. It was like he would go into it and he would go away, like into that mm. and be very quiet and kind of not present. And there were so many times growing up where I would be like, what's wrong? Like, you know, you know, why aren't you engaging? Why aren't you talking? Right. You thought it was like you, something you were doing. Right. And, and I think obviously over time with work and therapy with us together and him alone and me alone, he's gotten so much more aware of when he's feeling like that. And he's gotten so much, it's amazing to see like how different he is versus when I was younger. I've had to develop very sort of, um, specific, practices just like the stepping away from the mirror mm, of mm -hmm. how I can go about getting myself out of certain nervous habits yeah. and like this is again what I was saying before we started recording was um I was almost gonna like and I probably will at some point record a solo episode about these nervous habits because mm -hmm. my anxiety I've never I don't think I've ever had depression I become very sorrowful mm -hmm. is my brand of sadness <laughs> and my brand of like depression when I was like lit, even little in middle school or something, or I think it started in like ninth grade. Mm -hmm. I definitely, it was, it was actually, I think it was before I had watched Virgin Suicides, but <laughs> I don't think that that helped. No. Um, my mom would come into my bedroom and I would just be laying in bed crying oh my gosh. and she would ask me what was wrong. And I remember my thing, I would say to her that I was so scared to grow up. Like wow. I was so terrified to go, to get older and wow. I don't even know that that's what it was. I think I was just really afraid of a lot. And mm -hmm. I think I still am. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think that was sort of my thing. But it was never debilitating. I never felt like the weight or the inability to get up out of bed. I've never felt mm -hmm. that even in college when I would say was the peak of my mm -hmm. mental health sort of like um, spiral or like plummet. I... Um, yeah, when I was like becoming, not only was I bulimic, but then becoming very anorexic, losing weight so fast, restricting myself to the point of like starving. Um, I was getting straight A's at Barnard. I had an internship at Harper's Bazaar, was like killing it in my internship. I was hyperactive, mm -hmm. um, but in a lower place than I've ever been. And so for that reason, I don't think I experienced depression in the, in the sense that you do. I do become though, my feelings are a lot of sorrow and a lot of loneliness. I feel mm -hmm. super alone, super estranged. It doesn't matter how many 
friends and I've never ha- been the kind of person that has like tons of friends. I have like a handful of very close friends. Right. Even there are people that have no friends. I'm very lucky to have friends at all, even one best friend. Mm-hmm. But there are times when I have felt totally alone. And that's, I think, as close as I've gotten to very serious depression is when I feel so alienated. And it's a very yeah. dangerous thing. And I, then, yeah. but my thing is anxiety. I think I experience a ton of anxiety. Yeah. My mom, I think, has made it sort of, she's always described, um, not, she, she's kind of a pretty chill person, but she'll have, moments of um, what she calls like floating anxiety Mm -hmm. like free floating Mm -hmm. anxiety where she's like I can't pinpoint what it is but I just woke up feeling like I was not on the ground like totally floating I get that um I then have this thing where like it's I call it like um like I call it like the stuck it's like the little stuck (laughs) when I wake up and I just feel this like I'll wake up and like go to brush my teeth and I just feel this like little stuck moment where I don't I feel like I can't move and I'm like mm-hmm. so anxious and like do, I feel like I could scroll on my phone for hours in this moment I feel like I could like have a hysterical breakdown like I just feel so like this little moment of stuckness yeah. it's not huge like I don't feel like totally um like what you were describing like bogged down by the world but i feel this little moment of like being totally stuck and i'm like holy shit and it just takes like a few sort of like mental exercises to get me out of that Mm -hmm. but it does take effort because there have been days where i'm like on my way to have a nice day i'll wake up and then i like anxiously another nervous thing that I have or anxious habit that I have is like compulsively scrolling on my phone oh yeah like and not, not even like not looking not or looking. ingesting no any of it. it's like a weird yeah. like I have that I get totally possessed and I'll just scroll and then I'll close Instagram <laughs> mm-hmm. and then open it again yeah to right see. after I've closed it to yeah. see if anything new has happened right but then you're not even taking in what's new no. if it is I'll the other morning I woke up and this is I'm very proud of myself because I really noticed this becoming an issue um and in the last couple of weeks I've really become um so intentional about my morning routine especially and just how I engage with technology and also just with myself throughout the day to minimize all of this but like my sort of like low point that I reached a few weeks ago was like waking up immediately I think I woke up with my phone like next to my face which I've always been very conscious to not have my phone in my bedroom like I'm usually so yeah I'm so aware of all of that but I was in such a place of like feeling anxious and out of control I was falling asleep with like Instagram open my phone next to my face I woke up with my phone next to my face didn't even like take a moment to breathe and like feel myself waking up in my body (laughs) before I looked at my phone again and like I don't even know how much time had passed, but I just knew that I had been awake for a while laying in bed and I was looking at like some, I don't even know, some stranger in like France (laughs) and their family. And I was like, who is this? (laughs) This has nothing, like, what am I looking at? It was crazy. That's wild. I totally get that because I do that too in the morning, but I, I'm, I have a really I have a weird, weird thing with dreams. I don't oh. know if you experience anything, but for the last... I've had anxious dreams the past couple nights. The last, like, seven years, I have night terrors. Whoa. It's really debilitating. And, um, like, I'm fighting for my life every night. I remember every single 
moment of every dream I've ever had. Really? It's really a lot. And I, you know, I've been told, oh, there's medications you can take that will make you not remember your dreams. The last seven years? Like, fully. And I, like, have written most every dream I've ever had down. Whoa. And I do work a lot with dream work with my therapist. And But, for example, like, you know, I could have a dream where I have to fight off 12 huge men with guns to save my life and run sorry th- it's not no fu- i'm I know, smiling <laughs> it's not funny it's just in, like, like i have to literally like it's kill, unbelievable like i have to murder people to survive in my dreams and i it sounds super scary but i'll have epic, it is super like, scary epics where they're like epics. six hours long and i remember every single moment of it oh and it's God. terrifying i wake up every morning paralyzed because i'm like i can't move I'm exhausted. I didn't get one lick of of rest last night. Oh my god! And so that's something that has plagued me a lot the last like six, seven years. And I I do a lot of dream interpretations and things like that. But um, it's so gnarly. It is so. I can't gnarly. imagine. Two nights ago, I had a dream again with my crazy hair anxiety I'm having right now. I had a dream that I was just, um, like I ran my fingers through my hair and I was pulling out like clumps, not like hard, but like when I would touch my hair, clumps of hair would come out. And I woke up in a pool of sweat, like panting. And that to me was like horrific. Oh, I have that literally all the time. I'm waking up in my own, um, just sorrows and sweat and just anxiety. It's so bad, but I don't know if I'd rather have no dreams or the vivid dreams that I have, which are life-threatening and psych- like psycho scary shit. Like, ha- like really, like I've written so many. Um, like I started writing this series about my. Uh, it was like pretty much a girl and her dreams, and the the whole point of it was like a heightened reality of when the dreams ended and when her life started and you couldn't really tell. And it was like this really weird thing I was writing. It's like inception kind of. And so, but that I've put to bed for a while, but for a while I was like, yeah, if I am having these dreams, I'm going to do something with them and write about them. And you know, but now I just, I just, Oh, it's hard. I mean, last night I, I directed an entire movie in my dream. It was an okay dream, but, but for the most part, my dreams are really scary. I wonder why that is and why. Because I definitely am a dreamer, but... And I it's been a while since I've had a good dream. Oh. <laughs> I don't even think I've had a good dream in a while. I've had, like, anxious dreams and just really random dreams yeah. that aren't necessarily good. But I used to laugh in my sleep. Really? Yeah. Like, since I was little, I would just, like, I would wake myself up, like, giggling. It was really <laughs> sweet. It was kind of scary. It's kind of scary. But, like, kind of sweet. Yeah. Like, I liked it. At least it meant that I was, like, really happy. happy. And, yeah. like, when my boyfriend and I were together, like, the first couple times I did it, it was really weird for him. But since wow. that, the last, like, several months, I haven't been laughing in my sleep and it's really heartbreaking oh, for wow. me like That's I want wild. I want to get back to doing that but it's again like your dreams I think it's interesting when you have something that's obviously such an indicator of what's going on in right. our subconscious 
but we're so out of control. Like, uh-huh. I can't just choose to start laughing in no. my sleep again. It's just like... Unless you can master lucid dreaming, which I don't... I can't. Yeah. I don't do that. But no, I think that's so interesting to laugh in your... That's really sweet. Yeah. I love that. That's cute. I um, hope it comes back. I'm really praying that it's going to come back. I don't know, man. My, I mean, I, I can wake up sometimes um, feeling literally like my body is made of titanium and I can't physically move. I don't know if that's called sleep paralysis because I know I'm awake, so it's not that, but it's Mm. something very weird that I experience. Um, But getting back to, this wasn't what I had forgotten before, but we had talked about like depression and how it looks outside versus how it feels. Like for example, when I went to school forever, middle high school I felt like I was acting the whole time like I was really like having to put up a front for to show people like that I was okay and I really was and then you would get home and be even more exhausted because you're having to show this like version of yourself that isn't real yeah and I feel that I do that still a little bit but I'm more okay with my feelings like I'm more okay being open about yeah oh, I feel like shit today or I feel really f- messed up you know yeah but I wonder because now I think also with you having that in school doing that in school I wonder if we all I mean those of us who choose to be on Instagram I wonder if we all have that a little bit all the time yeah Cause we are all sort of like putting on this thing and like in a sense, like we're all kind of experiencing, I heard this the other day, this is not my thought and I don't know how fully I agree with it, but (laughs) this person said like, in a sense, we're kind of like all famous. Like you can choose to like, you're, we're, we're all choosing to do, to engage in this thing that like only before like famous people had to to engage with which is like having your life be kind of public everyone's everyone's electing to do that now for the most part not everyone but like a ton of people Mm -hmm. and I think it is exhausting and I wonder if that's why we're all kind of dealing and I I don't wonder I think I know that we're that's why we're dealing with this sort of like mass exhaustion and anxiety and a little bit of depression and like existential Mm -hmm. crisis totally yeah I totally think that's true I mean it's hard because sometimes um you think that you're being genuine or honest on social media and it's like it feels nice or whatever but then you go back to doing the stuff that doesn't feel as good, which is posting or whatever as an obligation or whatever to feel like I need validation or whatever today. I don't feel that so much with Instagram, but I do feel you have to feed into the algorithm if you want to get somewhere on Instagram, which is really upsetting Mm. and I think sucks your soul out of you a little bit. Are you trying to get somewhere on Instagram? I think I'm trying to get somewhere in life. I don't think Instagram is the goal, but I think right now, because that is, you know, I used to do auditions or whatever, and it would be about your acting. Right. And now it's like, how many followers do you have? How many people can you reach to promote this film once we've made it? Right. And I'm like, I don't have followers. Like, I don't have that that 
that extra asset to give you for I've this heard production. That, that a lot of people, when you like go to sign with an agency or something, it, they ask you how many followers yeah, you have. It's, ups- it's completely upsetting and it, it's totally dehumanizing. And I think, um, uh, you know, part of me has to play into it if this is what I want to do right. with my life. But ultimately I want to write and create art and, and be that kind of person. And yeah. um, unfortunately right now it, it is this thing of, well, we're going to give it to this other girl who really can't uh, do the part, but she has a million followers. So right. So that's kind I, of how it goes. Yeah, I don't think that I could survive in that <laughs> line of work. I really don't. Like, it brings me a lot of um, comfort to know that, like, I very much enjoy doing this podcast. And again, as I said, like, I do it mainly for myself and for the, the small community that I've built doing it by some miracle. I, I thought that, like, only my family would listen to it. But, like, I don't know. I do it because I love to do it, but I'm in no way like banking on how popular it becomes or how many followers it gets. And I take a lot of comfort in knowing that like in my line of work that I'm like working really hard and studying in order to be able to become like being a psychiatrist. I don't know if I'm going to become a a psychologist or a psychiatrist yet. I'm Mm. still deciding my track. Mm -hmm. Um, But in that line of work, it really doesn't matter how many followers you have. If anything, people would probably prefer and take more seriously a psychologist with no Instagram presence. Exactly. So that brings me a lot of um, sort of solace and comfort. Like I really uh, feel relieved by that truth. It's true. And I think it's also something like I've always taken photos as well. And it's a huge passion of mine. And a big part of me, I think, when I was in this moment of like, do I want to pursue it as a very serious career? Do I want to do something else? I think I always would have ended up going down this track of like the mental health field just because I think I was meant to do it but I did have a moment of like really wondering like what I was going to do with my foot like future in a photography career and it was really overwhelming to me that essentially to be a, a um like a a young fashion photographer or art photographer who can do it successfully enough to support yourself you have to be kind of like famous and have a ton of followers. It really sucks. And that part of it was a huge detractor. I was like, I can't 100%, do that. Yeah. I can't compete. I can't do the whole like, Promoting I don't. Promoting yourself. Yeah, I was like, yeah. I don't see myself being like, it's almost like a cool club thing. I was oh, like, yeah. I've never been the kind yeah. of person to be invited yeah. into this cool group. I don't think I'm going to be the one that's like schmoozing at fashion week, right. but also is a fashion photographer and needs to do that. It was never going to be me. There's a whole, I think, faction of whatever, you know, kind of career you want to go into that is, it's not about your talent. It's about your drive to want to be somebody. And it's so upsetting because you are such a great photographer and I love every photo you've ever posted. And it's like sad that in order to have more of a reach with followers, you have to do these other things that feel um, kind of not degrading, but not, uh, doesn't feel truthful to you as a human. And, right. I know. like that. I'm not getting, if I'm being like in some world posed with those opportunities, I'm not recognizing them because mm-hmm. like that, mm-hmm. like opportunity to do something even like disingenuous that I could do to get more followers, like right. that window I've never seen. Right. But maybe it's just cause I'm so in my thing that like I, I wouldn't, that 
route would never even like appear. Like I'm not seeing that sign on my freeway. Like the exit's not there. I'm just like on my path. Right. And it's interesting too. You said the thing about therapists and followers, but whenever I've seen like a reality show or whatever, and you know, watching anything with my parents is like having an entire, like uh, just Jewish people yelling at the TV the whole time. You can't watch it without commentary the whole time. So, But if I've ever watched a reality show with a therapist who gets to be on the reality show and doing their work, they're like, that's not a real therapist. Okay, yes, thank you. How could you ever, you know, be considered real or have any authenticity or credibility when you're selling out and you're on a reality show, you know, or doing something like that where it's it's fake. I mean, you're right that it is less credible when someone's like, putting themselves out there as someone who would do therapy on TV without any kind of secrecy. I just looked at my phone and it's 5 p.m. and I'm like, how did that happen? Like, we've really just been going. And this doesn't happen a lot. It's amazing. Yeah. I feel like there's so much more to cover, but you know, you know, it's like how it's crazy. It's great too, because this is really like, I, again, like a lot of the people that I talk to, I think on the podcast are, um, sort of like professionals in their field and I don't know like it's always about something kind of specific and I think this is really the kind of episode that like whoever does listen to it is like oh god bless like <laughs> I woke up feeling yeah. exactly like this um, so yeah I think that this is super important and I'm really happy that we are just kind of like without any sort of yeah. structure going on because this is really like how I feel most of the time. Yeah, it's very and I train think, of thought, kind of flow of consciousness. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people wake up feeling at least one of the ways we've discussed having I, felt. Yeah, you know, also I've been thinking so much, I'm so, uh, not. I don't know if proud is not the right word, but I am very like enlightened to hear that you don't have your phone in your room when you go to sleep. That's amazing. I need to start doing that. Yeah. Where do you put it? So I do this thing where like I have I don't do that. I don't know why I just said that I I keep my chargers in my office or in my kitchen just any room you have mm-hmm. like it doesn't it can be your closet next to your room or your bathroom mm-hmm. like whatever other room you have in your house just put your chargers there and just charge your computer and your phone in another room and then just get a little alarm clock if you I wake up very early every day oh, really? naturally what time do you usually wake up my body wakes up at like the past few day, the past few days in a row, I've woken up at six thirty-eight on the minute. Whoa! Every time, because I have a clock, I keep a clock next to my bed so yeah. I can just see. No, yeah. Um. But yeah, I will wake up pretty early usually, so I don't need an alarm. Um. But yeah, just get a little alarm clock That's and just great. sleep with the your technology out of your room. It also just makes your space. I forget where I read this, but apparently like you're really not supposed to do like in order to enhance your sleep and like make your bed and your bedroom feel like the most special. And like it was around sleep that I was reading this. Like it was all for enhancing sleep. You shouldn't like do other things in your bed than sleeping. Obviously, like sex, fine. But like you shouldn't be like eating snacks in your bed and like watching TV in your bed. Oh God, Don't do it. Stop. But that's what everyone does. But apparently like, cause then your body doesn't really know like then when it's time for sleep that you're in this special right. place that you're supposed to sleep. Damn. So 
yeah, I try to do like nothing on my bed other than just like sleeping or things that you do on the bed. It's very admirable. That's the word is admirable. I do everything that I'm not supposed to do in your bed. Well, that's a lot of people, but also a lot of people don't have the luxury of like having even one other room that they can go. A lot of people live in like a one bedroom apartment. Exactly. But yeah, just like living or doing things, sorry, not doing things, um, not in your bed is very helpful in order for your body to understand that when you are in your bed, it is just for sleeping or like doing other things Mm -hmm. like sex that are happen in the bed most of the time. Um, but yeah, it's really helpful. But then again, I go through moments where I fall asleep with Instagram, like open on my (laughs) face, like the UV light, like blaring on my face. So it's not all the time, but most of the time I feel most like peaceful when I don't have technology on. That's great. My therapist too, he's very sort of like, um, he's kind of like a little hippie, like def- he doesn't have Wi-Fi in his house. He <laughs> only has like plug-in Wi-Fi in yeah. this like extra office he has to take his patients or his clients. Like mm-hmm. he's very like that. He told me um, when I told him that I was having a really hard time sleeping a couple weeks ago, he told me that I should start turning off my Wi-Fi in my house wow. before bed like on the modem and then like wow. in the morning, turn it back on. I haven't done it. It okay. seems like a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot of effort, but it yeah. seems like a lot. I, but what I, if, what about just turning your phone on like airplane? Mode? That's what I do. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I do. I turn my Wi-Fi off on my computer and then I, yeah. or I turn my computer usually totally off mm-hmm. and then I'll put my phone on airplane mode. That's amazing. It really, it's I'm just serious. Like, it makes like, me feel good. That's really cool. Yeah. I, um, I, I eat in my bed sometimes. I watch TV in my bed. I have my phone. I have all my chart. I'm really doing it wrong. You're not doing it wrong. That's <laughs> what meant. everyone does. I also think, like, I never grew up with a TV in my room, ever. Yeah, that's my cool. entire life, we had one TV. No, I think at most we had two TVs, ever. Mm-hmm. One in, like, the library or something. And then, But we usually just had one TV, um... And then never a TV in our room. We didn't really have computers in our room to watch. Yeah, we've just like, so I've never had a TV in my room. And I think that's why it's normal. That's cool. And now you can like continue that. Yes. So even though it's nice, like it's great to watch a thing on your laptop in the bed. Right. But yeah, that's That's, like one of my soothing. I have a lot of the like little practices that like make me feel grounded and calm. That's amazing. I was going to ask you to to wrap up. Right. If you do anything and it can be anything, like even if eating in your bed is one of them, like what makes you That's feel calm? That's my like uh, com- major comfort is like food, late night, bed, whatever. That's really not a good habit. And I'm doing actively trying to, I've not brought food into my room in a while because yeah. I'm trying really hard to, to not do that. Um, but I know this is weird because it's like a drug, but like smoking a joint, like I used, okay, so let's say I, let's say I had a problem, which I probably did for a while with weed. And it's funny because it's like, I've been around and know tons of people who actually have had serious drug problems and people have lost their lives to it and things like that. But um, I was pretty addicted. Like I hate oh, using that marijuana word. Marijuana addiction is very real. Yeah. So I was I was overusing it. Let's say I was abusing it mm-hmm. for sure. Um, I mean, like you know, let's say like fifteen to twenty five joints a day. Like just going like 
blitzed all the time that's for a, a very long time. That's a lot. I know, dude. I was really fucked up. And now I think I smoke, let's say, tops three joints a day if I ha- like at the end of the night. But like for example, like last yesterday, I had like half a joint and I was like, whoa, I'm high. I need to go to bed. Yeah. And so, but for me, like the practice of smoking, I used to smoke cigarettes. It's a very soothing thing for me. It's yeah. not healthy at all. But if I can get some kind of joy at the end of the day or whatever, like when the sun goes down and I just want to relax a little, it's a really great thing. I mean, I know a lot of people, most people drink. I don't drink. Yeah. So that's something I have never done. Uh, I just don't like it. It makes me feel sick. So like a joint is very, feels very medicinal. Yeah. When, especially if I'm like having... Um, some severe problems with my like endometriosis or my period or whatever it can be really helpful but I think um, I get a lot of joy from my dog you know I know that sounds weird but like no these are the best I'm so happy that you're like it's weed and my dog and my dog thank god yeah it's just like things that make me you know she really pisses me off sometimes because she's not very well behaved but she's so fucking cute your dog can't like what's her name love her Billy, but she doesn't listen very well. But anyway, I just, I hug her. Even if she doesn't want me to hug her, I hug her because it makes me feel good. Um, But no, I think honestly, like family and connections with people make me feel really good. And just knowing that you can have someone or my boyfriend or whoever be there, like that grounds me and makes me feel very, very much connected with everyone. Yeah. But I would love to learn more practices. And I do certain things with like, I I have a hobby of tumbling rocks. So like I am a rock person. I find rocks everywhere. And you're I like, a rock hound. I'm a rock hound. My mom just told me that that's what it's called. That is the term. I don't want to say for sure I'm a rock hound, but I think I am. Like I think, I think I'm are. a little bit like that. Um, why so, is it like a serious subculture? Oh yeah, it's like if you aren't really a rock hound, like fuck you. Like you don't say you're a rock hound, but okay, I, I, I think I, I think I am because I find rocks everywhere. I I look for rocks everywhere, and it's like a weird obsession. Not, I, dr- I dream about, and rocks. it's different than crystals. Oh, rocks meaning crystals or okay. rocks. So yeah, both. Um, I guess rocks and crystals. So are you into crystals? I very much am. And that's the funny thing because I'm not spiritual and I'm not religious, Mm -hmm. but I love nature and I love the earth. And so I'm very connected. That's the number one spirituality. Right. So I'm very connected in that sense. And I love that there are these amazing things that come from the earth that we can enjoy. Yeah. But I don't necessarily think there are like powers that I am holding with them. Yeah. Maybe there are, and I'm just not aware of it, but I just love them visually and physically holding them. Did you charge your crystals in the moon last night, the full moon? I didn't. You know, I had a weird allergic reaction last night, and I was like, I really felt very sick, and I took a Benadryl and zoinked out. It's okay, because <laughs> I hadn't charged my crystals in, like, years. Like, I've never... Did it... Was in it years. good? Yes. Okay, so what last... happened? Yesterday, when I was having my day of needing to really just, like, check myself, mm-hmm. um... Yeah, I charged, I decided to, I knew that it was the full moon in right. Libra. It was called the wild it goose the moon. was the pink, the pink, was it the pink moon? My moon calendar told or me what? that it was the wild goose moon, but <laughs> everyone else called it the pink moon. Right. It's a cuter name. No, but I it like was a, the wild goose moon. It was moon. a very full moon, and I decided that it would be a nice way to end the night to 
round up all of my crystals that I have all around like hidden in my house amazing and charge because like so much has happened since because I used to charge them like two years ago and was like so devoted to them loved them yes I would like bathe them in like water and then put them in the moonlight wow and I hadn't done it in like two years at all I would sometimes sometimes like meditate with them or like Mm -hmm. I do reiki as well on myself so like use them with the reiki but I hadn't like taken care of them and I thought about how much in my life has changed and shifted and transitioned since I had last done anything with them. And I was like, oh, they have all the energy that's been in my house. Like they have the energy of like profound love and then really depressing energy. Like it needs a cleansing. Like they all need to be cleansed. And so I like washed each of them. Um, and then I meditate. I like lit some Palo Santo and then like meditated on all of them with my favorite song playing that I meditate to and like put a good intention on each of them. And then I lined them up on my windowsill that like gets a ton of moonlight Mm -hmm. in my bedroom. And then I wrote a list of things that I wanted to let go of and I burned it in the fire. And then I wrote another list after I burned the list in the fire of things that I wanted to like bring into my life. Right. And I put them under the crystals. <laughs> I sound crazy. No, this I put them amazing. under the crystals on my window. So I'll take you to show it after yeah. we finish the podcast. Um, and I like let them like charge in the moonlight with my intentions under them. And then this morning I meditated in front of them and like I put like this is sounds really psycho. I like took the <laughs> love ones, like the rose quartzes, mm-hmm. and I like put them like in the waistband of my pants, like on my uterus. And then I like put my protective ones like on my shoulders and I like balanced one on my head and then I put the clearing ones like in my like shirt like around my breast like I did this whole thing and meditated with them and it felt so good did it okay so hearing all that so like that's amazing and again like I in saying all of that I'm not saying it in the way that a lot of like wellness I think there's like a whole brand of wellness person in LA that's like I do this because it will call in everything I want. Right. I don't know. I don't have any strong beliefs around any of it. I just know that the ritual makes me feel calm and satisfied. Cool. So that is it. Like my doing all that shit last night was like my version of like a joint rolling. Like it just (laughs) felt good to do. Yeah. And that's why I did it. But it was not around any kind of like crazy belief that like me burning the habits I wanted to like. Like I fully... I burned last night, like me waking up and picking my skin. And lo and behold, I woke up and picked my skin. (laughs) I did it a little less because I remembered the paper burning in the flames and was like, oh, shit. I told myself. it's about your intentions and stuff. Yeah. You know, it's fascinating. All practices should be like that, though. It's about the intentions, not like the strictness of like the practice making you healed. That's really cool. I... I'm fascinated by all of that. I for and I know we're wrapping up, but one more little thing. I mean, we have that. obviously limitless time. Um, no, <laughs> things are happening. We have to move. Um, but <laughs> the main thing I want to say, responding to that, is so fascinating because I got really fascinated by witches, whether or not they were real. It was real, and how to tell if something is real and. I interviewed a couple people who claimed to be witches mm-hmm. and I know that that right now it's very trendy to be like, you know, someone who is doing rituals and being a witch and uh, can 
profit a lot off of clients, which is like kind of the antithesis of being a witch. You're supposed to be, you know, just for people and it's not supposed to be a money making thing. But anyway, I got super into it. I interviewed a couple people and my whole point of it was to see what was it about. It was, it was real doing those kind of rituals. And I ended up kind of learning that it's all about your own beliefs. So if you believe in it, it will be, you know, Mm -hmm. if your intentions are real, it will be real, but it, it might not work for everyone who doesn't believe. It's a lot about a belief system. It's almost like a religion in that you put into it what you take out of it. And so it's so fascinating to hear that. Cause for me, I'm kind of just like, not dirty, but like all my crystals and rocks are just strewn about my yeah. room, my room. They're just all around. I don't do much with them. I love looking at them. That's their purpose for me. But that's okay. Yeah. And so, but when I hear you talking about this, I'm like, damn, maybe I should be getting into that whole, you know, ritual of really paying attention to each one of these rocks and crystals and doing these cleansing um, activities with them. Yeah. And it's, it's fascinating. It brings me back to the research I was doing a couple of years ago with all not saying you're a witch I mean witches are really fascinating and all of it encompassing is really fascinating with natural forms and rocks and crystals and yeah there's so much to talk about it it's funny you say I have a friend uh my friend Emilian and he always is like he calls me like a good he's like you're a little good witch like it's what you are and I'm like well witches are it's like a inherently like a really great thing Um, what I've learned but yeah with the rock the crystal thing I think also in just like you saying and I think it's a nice way to sort of wrap up too is with you saying like it is what you put into it Mm -hmm. my taking care like even last night for the first time in years of these crystals it's not even so much about taking care of the crystals as it is like kind of a a reminder of like that's how I need to be taking care of myself right I think like with you with your dog me with my rabbits or horses like anything that you can like take a moment to really intentionally like care for it kind of just like I don't know it sort of it like ingrains like oh yeah the importance of just like care in general and taking care and like then you in it like you kind of naturally then go to like taking care of yourself in the same way right like I was so not moving and then I got this dog now I take her on walks every day because I have to because she needs that and so do now I'm like, oh, I do too, I guess. Yeah. You know, it feels good. And my whole day is devoted to making her tired because she has a lot of energy. Yeah. And so now I, I'm like more, way more active than I've ever been. And there you go. And you're somebody that like, it's been difficult it's to get really up really hard. Every, the biggest thing is for depression, you need to exercise. Right. For a depressed person hearing that, it is like the worst thing to hear. Because it feels like, impossible. I can. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, there are things that can make you... You know, even if you don't want to, you're like, oh, I know my dog needs a walk or yeah. needs a hike or whatever. Yeah. So you have to do it. Well, yeah. Thanks for talking to me. Oh my gosh. And I'm thank glad we're you. both, we're doing okay today. Yeah. No, I feel <laughs> really good. Yeah. I feel really great. I hope I didn't blab on too much and that oh, some no, this, of this was, was good. No, this was perfect. Yeah. And I, again, like in saying that this is a lot for me, like I feel much better now than I did even when you arrived. So, oh, wow. That's amazing. I love it. Thank you for being here. Thank you.